Hi, folks. Before you please press that button that just skips you forward, hear me out. We need your support. These podcasts are free. You get them for free, but they aren't free to produce, make, time, effort, money, everything that goes into it. We have a lot coming out. And if you aren't a member on patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack, you will have missed today's conversation between Rory and Caroline on the realities of gender-based violence and, and potential solutions. You'll have missed uh, Vicky and Martin's conversation with a brilliant panel on Operation Transformation and how they argue it is not good for the nation. You'll have also missed Brian O'Boyle's conversation with myself on tax havens and Ireland's role and how we do that. <laughs> on top of that, there are several podcasts that we do ad hoc as the news emerges that do not go out anywhere other than on the Patreon feed. Um, I would appreciate you to give us the price of that cup of coffee. Give us that price of the, the fancy pint or the or these days as the minimum alcohol price can maybe is. It's patreon.com forward slash tortoise We've had a rough start to the year. No, no, no doubt about it. But we rely on you guys to, to support us, put your hands in your pocket, show us a little bit of thing, and help us keep those mics on across the tortoise shack. It's greatly appreciated. And if you if you if you can't afford it, maybe you know, throw us a review, tell people about us. We've we've no ads, no sponsors, and we don't want ads or sponsors. We go down that road, we start pulling punches, and we wouldn't be the platform that we set out to be imperfect and all the all the messes that we've made but nonetheless we we plow on and try to do our best thanks for listening and hopefully this podcast with craig is a little bit optimistic um fingers crossed you might get a bit of a lift out of it i know we could all do with it enjoy hello and welcome to the echo chamber podcast my name is tony groves and before we start we would all in the tortoise shack like to offer condolences to the family friends students and everybody who knew ashlyn murphy who was murdered um, yesterday while just out for a run. Um, I'm sure, Martin, you shared the, the shock and horror, and, and indeed our, our, our guest, Craig Hughes. Um, it, was a, it was a terrible thing to, to, to hear about. When, to, it impacted me on, on a different level, knowing that she was a school teacher, knowing that I had a personal story with a school teacher related to a, an attack as well, and brought back all sorts of memories. And I, I don't know about everybody else, guys, but... Um, there's three men here. I'm hoping uh, men will uh, accept that we need to do better um, as a society. Yes, but uh, fathers talk to your sons. People talk to how we how we educate ourselves, and women should not have to walk around or go for a run carrying keys or panic alarms or rape whistles that I've heard referenced. And and I don't think we need an app for it. I think we need to fix the the ills that that our society clearly still has. Uh, where violence, gender-based violence, is far too endemic. I can I, I can't say any more than that. We will be covering it. I know Vicky is looking to cover it on on a different podcast, and we'll put that together as as quickly as we can. But um, I, I yeah, all we can do, Tony, is extend simply as friends and family, uh, and just say that we are thinking about you at this time. That's all we can really do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's um. It really is a dark day in, in in Irish life. I mean, I was I was at a press briefing earlier, and and the mood is just is just so hollow. I mean, it's you know I think it's everyone's nightmare that that someone they know goes out for something as simple as a run and doesn't come back. Um, and it's something that that shouldn't happen in Irish society. 
And we hope that that it isn't the trend. That we hope this is the end of it. But I think you know, I join with you in saying that you know, my thoughts, of course, are as with the family at this difficult time as well. Thanks for that. You, you, the voice you just heard is obviously political correspondent with the Irish Daily Mail, uh, Craig Hughes. And by the way, um, since we last spoke, Craig won News Reporter of the Year for 2021. Um, so congratulations, Craig. I haven't, I haven't Thanks got to, 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 to congratulate you on air. So um, well deserved. Uh, it's hard to pivot from what we've just discussed, but we we we, we must anyway. I I do want to come to a piece that you wrote earlier in the week, um, and what you showed was that the minister for for finance received information that he, he helped the buy scheme and shared equity schemes uh, were gone, were aggressive and inequitable. Um, I I put it to you that we you know we saw that the same similar scheme in the UK has turned out to be um, inflationary for house prices. This doesn't come as a surprise, but what you exposed is that they just went, well, we're going to renew it anyway, Craig. And so, so uh, th- thank you for your kind words. Um, I, I should say the, the story I wrote was just on the help to buy scheme. Um, it was a, it was a, a submission, internal submission sent to the Minister of Finance, Pascal Donoghue, on the help to buy scheme. And I guess for people who don't know, um, that's a kind of a, a tax rebate for first-time buyers uh, w- w- when they buy a home uh, up to €30,000. Um, it's been controversial for a long time and it hasn't been reviewed formally in two years. Um, in the submission, the minister was given a range of options what to do with the scheme. Um, and this actually also included a point I'll touch on later, um, at, uh, extending the scheme for first-time buyers who wanted to buy a direct home. But let, let me come back to that in a moment. So he was given a range of options. Uh, one, which was, you know, Given that it was regressive and uh, in, in, inequitable, and and had led to, uh, it seemed, rising house prices because you know you're putting more money into into an already constrained market, and um, that there was a struggle to see the justification for it. However, you have to go back to the program for government that was negotiated by the tripartite government of Finnfolk and the Green Party that we have at the moment. In that document, it committed to extending the help to buy scheme. So the officials noted that. You know, to suddenly withdraw the scheme from circulation would actually have a really negative impact on the construction sector because you know some builders might have already uh, built that into their in, into their plans for the year. They had priced so it in effectively. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And and I think that is important. You do point that out in the article that mm-hmm. it was that that was the the plot. But you, sometimes you have to pull the plaster off rather than take it off slowly. Well, well, I guess that the, the the point that would be made is this isn't the first time that there's been warnings about the scheme. You know, so I think it, from the government's perspective, it, it's it's not that easy to um, to fall back on that one. Um, and now, but the point I would like also to make is uh, Minister for Housing Daryl O'Brien was was on um, the hard shoulder on News Talk yesterday. While this scheme um, is, is is it comes from the Department of Finance, obviously it's, it's for housing. He was asked about it, and he he did the old Arson Wenger and said, "Oh, well, I didn't read the article in the, in the mail, and you know, I didn't see the tackle." Um, but he said, "You know, oh." The scheme has helped, you know, thousands of homeowners, blah, blah. And I think, you know, those words ring a bit hollow because, you know, just because it helps some people, you know, that doesn't make it justified. And I think all you have to do is look to the ESRI report, which showed that 40% of people who got uh, the help advice scheme didn't need it. They already had had a deposit. Um, Mm. And a government, uh, a Green Party TD, who I was talking on, on this previously, said, well, you know, Shouldn't shouldn't people who pay their taxes get benefits as well? So I mean, there is it, there is an element I think from, from political side of well, you know, you need to give something back to to the middle class on this, and it's so I, I you know I think their eyes are open on this. They know what they're doing. They're helping out people who 
are in their politically, say, um, demographic. Who are, who are, who are I'm, going, I'm going to say it, who are in that ABC1 category, that, 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 that and it is actually, it's a, it's a party of that to the most part because you have, you have affluent green voters and you have affluent Fine Gael voters and, and they are able to avail of the scheme. Absolutely. And again, it does push, it does push a, a, a problem then where, where, where you look at it and say, if you recall some of the other schemes and I'm going to, one of the prerequisites to it, which was the opposite of this was you had to be declined a, a loan, right? But from three high street banks before they'd give you the mortgage from the state. So, you know, that was kind of the one that was done for people who who probably, if they're being declined for a loan from three high street banks, shouldn't be given a loan. And and they were saying on the other end, actually, you already qualify for the loan and there's a little bit of a sweetener for it. And we've seen time and time again that when these sweeteners are introduced, the construction developer, the estate agents, the 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 market itself prices it in, Craig. Yeah, and, and, well, I, and I guess just just for, for balance, I guess I should say I'm, I'm sure if the minister was here that they'd point to the new um, or point to the uh, local authority home loan oh. um, as something that g- g- gives gives support for for lower in- in- income um, people and, and perhaps single people. But I think the real thing that will be the subject of further analysis this year is when you have the introduction of the shared equity scheme, another market market led scheme. There's been warnings kind of already about what you're going to have two market led schemes going at the same time here. Um, and, and that's going to be the real concern for the market. I mean, which doesn't show like it's going to slow down anytime soon it, it, it is the fear. I mean, talking to a friend who's trying to buy a house and it just seems literally impossible at the money with, with the bidding wars that are going on beyond asking price. Um, so that, that, that'll be the next big piece of analysis. I'll, I'll be interested to see this year now the impact of both of those schemes um, running together. I'm not surprised that it's aggressive and inequitable, Craig. And you've covered quite a few stories on housing in the last, I mean, over quite a long period, but particularly in the last 12 months. Have you come across any situation in the housing market where it's not aggressive and inequitable? Regressive, Martin. Well, I think it's aggressive and it is certainly aggressive, the, the property market, and very inequitable. Is is there a situation where you've come out across quite whether it's not the same, where there is actually some good stuff happening? Um, I, I want to touch on on, um, on a point that I mentioned earlier in, in terms of something different that's happening because yeah. I think when I look at I, I went I kind of went to a lot of internal documents in the Department of Finance, um, and this is around the time of the, uh, the Cookie Roadshow stuff, you know, mm. um, and I mean while that was the kind of top line of the story. It also detailed the attitude inside the Department of Finance, which seems very rigid and set in, in its sense. And where the, the officials in there kind of said they, they were on about the ESRI recommendation to double double the spending on social and affordable housing. And this was something and, you covered and they were horrified at that idea. Yeah, well, so they, they had said that should we, uh, if we were to do that, the chief economist at the Department of Finance said, well, if we were to do that, um, given the level of of debt per capita we have uh, in this country, the housing crisis would be the least of our worries. And so this is the kind of mindset of the, of the Department of Finance, which is is kind of contrary to the more progressive thinking of kind of spending more on, on social affordable housing, right? We can leave, the, we can park that ideological debate for a second. Um, but I just want to then segue into the record the, 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 for the recent piece on the derelict housing, right? Please, so, yeah. Yeah, so on, on that submission, about introducing a new first-time buyer's grant for, for derelict housing. 
the Department of Finance officials, again, very constrained, said, no, no, we can't do this. Um, you'd have issues with trying to identify what is a derelict house, all the rest of it. And they listed off the problems and ultimately recommended not to do it. Um, so I published that story over the Christmas. And then a few days later in the Irish Examiner, Elaine Lachlan had um, interviewed Daryl O'Brien and he's pushing ahead with his own uh, derelict housing scheme, right? So it was, I kind of thought, well, okay, well, I, I thought it was quite quite good for him, to be honest, because uh, it seems, especially on housing, you don't realise how much is controlled housing policy by the Department of Finance. So he's kind of taken, well, you could say a political risk here, but it's, I think it's in- encouraging that at least he, I, everyone's talking about derelict housing and he's now gone and done something about it. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. Um, but I just thought it shows perhaps a difference in the Fianna Fáil, Fianna, Fianna Gael mindset at the moment and, and some differences between those two key ministers. I think that's really, you've got your, you've, you've literally put your finger on the pulse of what's going on. I put that very point to the Minister for Housing on this podcast about, Martin, must be six, seven months ago now. Yeah. yeah. And I said, I said, is there a, a, uh, some sort of issue between yourself and the Department of Finance? He laughed and sort of uh, gave me a, a, no, 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 no. Um, but clearly there is a difference of opinion and a difference between, and that's, it may be a difference between Fine Fall and Fine Gael as you as as we kind of see a difference of of who who they are trying to accommodate and and Fine Fall know that they have to fix housing and derelict housing is actually something that can be turned around quicker than you know starting with from bricks up. You did you've got a, another story today though, and it's going to sound optimistic here, uh, Craig, because it does feel like the light at the end of the tunnel might actually be uh, a light as opposed to just more tunnel. Um, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on, on your conversation with the CMO, Tony Houlihan. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe it yesterday. We had a, we had a, a kind of a technical briefing with, with the CMO, Tony Houlihan, um, Deputy CMO, Ronan Glynn, and Chair of the Nevis uh, Modeling Group, um, Professor Philip Nolan. And even during the meeting, I was I was texting some of the other journalists who were on it and am I am I hearing this right? You know, in terms of what he was saying. And there was there was two two questions really that brought it back. One was from Rachel Lavin of the Business Post, and the other from myself around the issue of population immunity and the role of, of the boosters and what that means. Uh, you know, given that that we were told that you know half a million people potentially had COVID you know, this week. Stephen Donnelly then today said, you know, this week and last week, so that's a million people who are going to be recovering. And so if we know that immunity lasts for three months and then, you know, couple, coupling that with, with the roller booster. Um, and I'll, I'll just try and quote, quote from, from just, I'll just the quotes here from, from what, what CMO said. I mean, he, he said that he's asked NIAC to look at all this, right? So for the NEFIT meeting now next Thursday, they'll have an updated, uh, up, updated data on the level of the population that has immunity, and then coupled with that, at the level uh, who have both immunity and, and are boosted. So that'll give, for the first time, a real sense of of where we are in terms of, of the risks around around any reopening. And and I'm just going to start. I'm just going to pull up the quote here. And 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 uh, so I, I came in after Rachel's question, and I, I just said, you know, "Am I am I hearing you right, Doctor Gulagan? That that you're 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 kind of questioning whether we'll uh, whether you know whether the population that is." has a high recovery rate from the virus and a strong booster and um, booster as you know how will restrictions be justified and he, and he said you know it's a fair question he says it's, it's on the table and, and he said we'll have to see um and i quote 
if there's any justification continues uh, to exist for adding of additional protection. And it's the if any that that really caught me because he said it twice uh, throughout the briefing. And I was just really, really struck by it. Um, and so I, I guess that's where the conversation is now. And uh, I mean, if you look back to the news at one, I think it was Tuesday, uh, Thomas Leo Radker, even at that stage, he was talking about, OK, you know, at the end of the month, we hope to lift restrictions, but it'll probably go from hospitality from 8 p.m. to midnight, that kind of stepwise program, you know. But the mood music yesterday from Dr. Holland was that, well, you know, why would we need any restrictions if, if, if you know, and he, he was just preempting it, you know, if it, what we think the levels of immunity are going to be so high, why would you have any restrictions at all? So that's where the conversation is at. Now, look, I'm not saying that all restrictions are going to be gone at the end of the month. I think it's a very strong possibility now. But I didn't think that pos- that conversation was going to be possible, you know, a-, a-, a week and a half ago. You know what I mean? Um, so that's very much where we are at the moment. And uh, the minister, uh, Minister Donnelly today was being very coy about the whole thing. He said didn't want to preempt it. Um, but he was very happy. <laughs> I might add, if you want to re- read anything of those tea leaves, he was very optimistic in, in his demeanor. Well, this I, is I, funny. Can I, Martin, I make one point? We spent, and I'll let you come in because I know you you cover COVID much more in depth than I do. But one point is interesting to me that when uh, we've seen the the CMO say things previously, and the government get very upset, saying he, you know, we should be we should be the source of the information. Now he's saying something that maybe they want to hear, and they're 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 they're, they're the ones who are saying, "Whoa, back to horses." It's kind of ironic that they're they're going to kind of wait, but. Hmm. I, I find that I find that interesting in terms of the the, the dynamic. Um, not that hmm. I'm attacking the the message per se at all. To be honest with you, and I might just come back and to just there's one kind of caveat to all that that I should add. And when they were showing the levels of infection that that had spread throughout the the country in the last few weeks, it was predominantly in uh, the lower age group. And so, see, Dr. Holland was saying we just want one more week's worth of data because he said there's things that we thought we were going to see. In, in terms of the impact of, of the variant that we haven't seen. And he said, we just want that one additional week just to make sure we don't see it. Um, and not, and then I put the question to him, are you concerned that given the older, more vulnerable uh, sections of the pop- population haven't um, been as, as exposed to the virus uh, as the rest of it, are you worried that, say, for example, if someone got the booster in October, and then uh, who are you know elderly or vulnerable, and then they got it now or at the end, end of the month. Would you be concerned about waning efficacy in the vaccine? And he said no. He said the evidence that they have with the booster is is while there can be some some waning in terms of you developing symptoms, it is still holding up very strongly uh, against severe illness. And I guess that's the key metric that they are looking at. And I suppose I find it difficult to square the circle of that and more than eleven deaths per day. I think. The key metric is always and should always be how many deaths, because that's what really impacts people's lives, not getting ill. It's a family member, somebody else dying. And I think we haven't had this conversation. I think it's so long overdue and we have to have this conversation at some stage. But I remember it's only three months ago when the deputy CMO said everybody had to watch what they're doing because there were seven deaths per day. And that's what they were averaged. Now we're averaging over 11, and it seems quite blasé. And I know there's a whole argument that people are, are dying incidentally of COVID. I think that's the right phrase to, to, to use, but they would be in hospital with something else, very sick anyway, but COVID is what goes on the death cert. But it's still, what was it, 83 deaths this week? How do we square that circle, Craig? How do we pre- pretend it's all okay 
when it's not all okay? Well, well I, I guess on the deaths, I haven't drilled down into that data yet. But what I am being told from people in the medical community is that, and actually, even, even to give something what Philip Nolan said yesterday, the conversion from people to from hospitalization into ICU is more is, is less than half with Omicron as it was with Delta. Okay, and um, now I think we need to see further drilling drilling down on, on those figures. But and but if you have to remember, then look at the level of hospitalizations that we've had. With the level of exposure in this virus, I mean, it's what, what I mean. It must be like one or two percent compared to something that was previously so much, so much higher. So the risk has changed, and I think what we need to see is uh, you would want to know is of those deaths, what's the breakdown of Omicron and Delta? Because you could be dealing with two different two different yeah. issues there. And um, so I think that analysis will be useful, and I'm sure that's probably what's going to feed into what's going to feed into their their decision making next week. I think there's an interesting point to make as well on the government's handling uh, of it this, of it this of it this winter. Um, I think they've got to this position by accident uh, because you know, and I put this to the teacher yesterday, and he was quite. I, I said, I think your I think your policies have failed over the Christmas um, on this, and he was kind of taken aback and go, "What do you mean?" And he was pointing to the key metrics of, of, of you know, uh, mortality in ICUs. And I was like, I didn't really think that was a fair metric because it, it, it's it's not carrying through like that. And I said, well, if it was planned, if this, if this was all within your plans, we wouldn't have had a testing and tracing system that was overrun. We wouldn't have, have been unable to have antigen tests and be not require confirmed PCR that, that would have led to people being left in limbo for sick pain, things like that. You know, and we wouldn't have had uh, shortfalls in masks, all, all this type of thing. So I, I, was, I wasn't buying his argument there. But I think they have got lucky in a sense that this 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 um, variant has been less severe. Um, and, and that, that even the HSE data will tell you that there was a good slide given at the, the briefing, I think, two or three weeks ago uh, on, on the impact. So I, I really think that come the end of this month, we are going to see a major reopening of society. And the only fear then will be uh, if, if a new variant um it comes and change, change, changes the game and, again. And, which and of course that is, is and that is yeah. the that is the biggest fear, isn't it? Because mm. ultimately, now we've gotten to a situation whereby we've the like what was the the estimate was half a million people contracted Omicron last week. That was the one of the figures that we've seen bandied about. Like that's that's a lot of people in a very small country. Um, and when you if you say that it's now endemic and this is you know but we we've we've got such a high usage rate. But we are also playing with fire by still. And again, Craig, this is off topic, but we, you know, I saw Alice Mary Higgins banging on about it again yesterday. What are we doing in terms of vaccinating the rest of the world? Where's the trips waiver? What are we doing to make sure that with the next, as, uh, as, uh, Dr. Marie Casey, the public health specialist put it to me, Omicron was, uh, was the gift we bought ourselves. Let's hope the next one we get for ourselves, uh, is not severe as you, as you say. And because we, we may have gotten lucky here. Martin, you, I know you want to come in. Yeah, I think we may have come. Look, I think a, a variant is not a, an if question. It's a when question. Um, I think that's the way these things work. Um, just be prepared and proceed with caution would, would always be my mantra on this is you don't know what ground you're walking on. So proceed with caution. I understand there's an economic push. And we saw that yesterday with the, the, the derogation of safety rest breaks for truck drivers, but that's not the solution. I mean, that's just creating more problems. I, I don't see that those things work as solutions. So the idea that 
um, you know, forget everything that's happened to the past. We're, we're all immune now. No, that doesn't actually hold. And I think it's disingenuous of government to be selling that um, to the public. I just think it is disingenuous. Um, Craig, I'll ask you one question on those, the, the changes to, you know, close contacts, testing, all of these things. They very much seem to be like a stepping down of, of um, things. And as Martin said, there's, you know, the idea of that truck drivers now to keep the supply chain going will have a derogation on, on certain things. We even had the Garda um, uh, saying, uh, tweeting that they're retrospectively implementing that law, um, you know, yesterday. It does strike me that um, I, <laughs> this is the cautious, cautious approach I want to talk about. Because our economy actually boomed, <laughs> we 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 uh, we're the, we're still the fastest growing economy in the OECD. You know, Pascal Donahue, we broke all records in corporation tax. We've never seen any money like it. Myself and Seamus Coffee were talking about it yesterday. Um, whether you want to say it's because we're, we're a tax, <clears throat> or you want to say that it's uh, just some sort of natural talent that we have, it does seem that we have the money to weather the storm. And maybe maybe there's an argument to say that the caution. Uh, isn't isn't a bad thing, and and do a bit more in terms of the next thing. I I don't know if we do have the money to weather the storm. I and mean, if you look at the amount of money that we've spent on um on managing this pandemic so far, look look at the, like we we're still a country running that that that's has a big deficit. I think we, you know which we're so I, I, that's why I caution against that. I mean, the money that we spend now, after we paid back at late, a later date, we already you know underspend on some public services. Do we really want to use that money? spending um spending on business supports to keep businesses closed when there isn't justification for it i think it's it's a very delicate balancing act it's you know outside of my remit on, on the economic side but i mean i've been I on some of those yeah. yeah just on the on the on the, the business supports top top end i think we're spending about 400 million a month on, on overall COVID support measures um we put four billion aside in this year's budget to 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 cater for it we're not going to come near that in, in what we need to spend fingers crossed that we don't get if we're optimistic and we don't get another variant that, that means you know come next september something else is game changer i would i would say that in it like i get and the other thing is that's the the other the other and it is an economic fallacy and, and uh, like the central banks in the EU will tell you the same thing, that it doesn't really matter the size of the debt as long as your economy can carry it. And Ireland's actually economy is, is, is if you put it on the ratio, the debt ratio level is better than where it was in 2008 pre-crash. So we're, we, we have a huge debt. I mean, the, the, the money that we've incurred is, is like, I think someone says the equivalent of two bank bailouts um, in terms of some of the spending, and yet we can still carry it whether you believe it's sustainable or not goes back to my issue where I started my point saying, um, do we rely too heavily on corporation taxes? And, and then, you know, are we just storing up a big problem for ourselves if, if, if that becomes an issue down the road? Well, I guess we're going to have a, I mean, the Department of Finance forecasts a two billion loss for a reduction in that now come from, from next year onwards in, in anticipation of the, uh, of the move towards that global tax deal when it's implemented. So, I mean, that, that, that is that is one I am watching really closely. I just don't see how that math works. I don't see how you can increase your take and yet decrease your well, take. Well, no, I'd, I'd say this, Martin, and this is what's important. We overperformed by nearly two point seven billion this year. So if we fall back by two billion, we're still you're ahead. Still we're ahead. Still, yeah. still ahead of two-year projection rates. But nonetheless, Craig, you're right. They they they, they are being they're be, they are being cautious. I just think it's going to be very interesting to see 
how it develops. I again look we've gone off topic. Do you do you feel overall based on that more optimistic about things now? I really do. Um and but just on the close contact rule, just just to step back to that for one second. I mean let's let's be very clear on this. The only reason that, that was introduced was to keep the economy going. Um and again it goes back to, you know, well what was the point in like put it this way, like if you had looked on in hospital now waiting for a a very serious medical intervention and they couldn't get it because the medical team uh, couldn't have their, their, their meeting together because one of them was a close contact, even though they were boosted and not symptomatic, you know, so you, you do have to move at pace with these things as well. So while I think it did make sense, especially when you look at the impact, I mean, they were forced into it on the basis that the, too much of the economy was being shut down. I mean, look, look, look at the, even look at the, the ambulance service, something I know quite a lot about previously when I worked in RT on the program that Dr. mentioned the maintenance. The ambulance service at the best of times when when all of its staff are working is already extremely stretched. The Dublin Fire Brigade, um, which manages the ambulance service in the capital, as you know, was down 12 crews, sorry, 12 fire appliances on New Year's Eve. That is, I mean, I don't think people really grasp the level of impact that has on the service. Um, and so if you're saying that you're taking those crews off the road and they're feeling fine and they're not symptomatic and they're boosted, you know, it didn't really make sense. So, I mean, I'm glad that they went that way, even though they were they were um, uh, pushed into it. Yeah, and Tony, you mentioned the, I think it was yesterday, like the supply chains are so lean anyway that there, there, there is no capacity in a supply chain. We, we don't, we don't want, the, the, you, you, that's, that's how you run a supply chain. You, you trim the fat, if we want to use the capitalist speak about it, and you leave it to the point where, you know this the, that the logistics are such that we 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 are leaving ourselves so exposed. I will come back on one thing, and it's not a go at any anything that's been said here today. So that I'm glad Craig pointed out the pressure that the ambulance service is under, uh, because I know that you know they've also they've also stepped up the amount of um, St John's ambulance ambulances that they're using, and I know from from personal experience of talking to still Mick Finnegan, how he how disappointed he was that, that they're undergoing a, a an investigation into serious allegations of child sexual abuse and 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 the, the HSE are using them. Now that's not that's not a moral judgment from me, but I just want to point out that Craig, you're spot on to point out that they are so exposed that they've they've had to go into other resources like Lifeline Ambulance, like the the St. John's Ambulance, just to make sure that we keep ambulances going. And that's the and that's the, the greater good in, in this world sometimes. Well, and sorry, just come back to the, the initial question you asked me, you know, um, am I optimistic? I mean, a, honestly, after that, that briefing yesterday, I, I, I wasn't expecting it. Um, and I really am optimistic. Um, I really think that I think we could be at the end, dare I say it. I will go out and limit and say it. I think we are coming to the end. I'm hopeful, but I think talking to someone today, I mean, I think the CMO thought we were at the end previously before um, before Delta came along. So I think it's it's a cautious optimism, but I didn't think I'd be cautiously optimistic two weeks ago. So it's um, it's welcome news, I think. I think I'm agnostic. And I think I hope I hope I hope it is, but like there's a little grain of me going. Mm, I saw the Kent variant, and we all got excited about it, and it died out very quickly, and it was replaced with the Delta variant. We're all real excited about Omicron being not that dangerous, and I could just keep looking around the corner and going, "Is there something else there around that corner?" 
So I'm agnostic about it, but I'm glad you're optimistic about it, Craig. Yes. I am. It needs both views, and it does need both views. Uh, thanks for coming on and having this chat with us again. Always informative, and we're looking forward to talking to you again in the near future. We'll keep that one under wraps, and we'll tell people about it when it comes up. But yeah, thank you very much for coming on and having this chat with us this morning. Very good. Cheers, guys. Always a pleasure, Craig. Uh, we appreciate you giving us the time. Guys, buy the newspaper. We always say it. This is why it's worth it, because there's great reporting going on. Um, it's as simple as that, but you have to put your hands in your pockets. We'll be back in your feeds. Oh, we have John Schwartz from The Intercept, so Martin's going to nerd out. We're looking forward to that. Talk to you all very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.